0: Today, I am interviewing Dr. Sam Saman about his forthcoming book, The Singularity of Hope, which aims to guide readers through the challenges and opportunities of the AI era, advocating for a harmonious fusion of human intelligence and machine capabilities. Dr. Saman envisions a world where the rapid advancements in AI and technology are harnessed for the greater good, leading to a new age of global prosperity. He's a seasoned entrepreneur with multiple successful exits, and an academic with a rich blend of expertise in applied physics, digital circuit design, nanotechnology, formal methods, life science, and business. Holding a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in applied physics, a master's degree in digital circuit design, and a PhD in nanotechnology, Dr. Simon has authored several articles on high-order logic, symbolic simulation, and automatic theorem proving. Beyond the academic realm, Dr. Saman has co-founded and led multiple successful companies in the life sciences, IT, and the real estate industries. He resides in Southern California with his wife and three daughters. Hi Sam. Hi Deb. So Sam, the title of your forthcoming book is The Singularity of Hope, Humanity's Role in an AI-Dominant Future. What do you hope to convey in the book? The book changed
1: the story. We we often hear about AI, instead of worrying about the machine taking over, it talks about a future where humans are the main focus. It's about making a world where our thoughts, feelings, and emotions are important, not just how much we can do or make. In the Singularity of Hope, prosperity is not an outcome, but a journey, one taken by all of humankind hand in hand with their AI robots.
0: Now, from my perspective, there are a lot of books out there by AI enthusiasts and futurists, some of whom, such as Ray Kurzweil, who you mentioned in the book, and AI evangelists, uh, as well as AI realists and AI critics, who've written about the topics that your book covers, including what AI is, what the ethical, economic, and sociological consequences of the growth of AI may speculatively be, uh, as well as its perils. Um, there are so many books about this in fact, that I cannot keep up with their proliferation and the uh, sheer multitude of people who are writing about this issue. What led you to write the book? And what did you hope to add to the conversation?
1: First of all, let me um, send my appreciation a chance for Ray Kurzweil. Uh, this guy inspired me a lot in his books. And let me tell you, I was inspired to write The Singularity of Hope as we stand on the edge of a new era a world rich with algorithms and machines, artificial intelligence everyone is talking about. The journey in this book begins by exploring human intelligence, and its contrast with the early capabilities of AI that we are in fact living now. We venture through the use of AI in workplaces, and the promise we introduce the method of human AI augmentation that is centralized about human capabilities and uh, more pushing for human spirit in the AI era. The book is meant to be a guide for everyone, whether they know a lot about technology or not. It's about making sense of AI in a way that's hopeful and practical. By reading it, I hope people will, say you will see AI as not something to fear or worship, but just a tool. When used correctly, can greatly benefit the humanity it's about finding a balance where AI enhances our lives, complementing our human essence and intelligence. My goal is to be um, clear and send an understandable message for everyone.
0: But I guess like the follow-up question I have is, who are you, who exactly are you writing for? Are you writing for the public? Are you writing to correct the... Public's vision of AI? Are you waiting for technologists to try and correct for uh, a kind of understanding that at least I see in the technological ecosystem of technologists who understand uh, their work as somehow exceptional, a form of wizardry, a form of elite knowledge that potentially provides some sort of superior uh, way of intervening into the way that human beings do things that they and they alone can fully appreciate, understand, and govern. So who is this book really for? Uh, Who are you trying to speak to? And what are you trying to correct?
1: The book is for everyone. I'm targeting everyone, everybody. I'm not targeting a particular people like technologists, for example. In fact, I'm advising them to read the book because in the book, I'm stepping down a little bit from their enthusiasm and let's call it the love for what they do to the way they exaggerate a lot what we have. Today, what we have is not the AI we saw in science fiction. We are far, far from that. It's not an AI that can replicate human intelligence. And this is something I strongly advocate inside the book. It's very, very far from human intelligence, okay? So, yes, it's addressed to everyone. Yes, it's addressed also to people who are in the technology field. But it's not the same output for each. For people who are reading the book that they don't have necessarily a technology background, it's to understand what AI can do, how to use it and uh, how it be beneficial for them and how to use human intelligence to guide AI. For people who are in the technology field to tell them, hey guys, slow down. I know you love what you do. I know you are giving us great tools but this is not a human intelligence. It's still far behind. It's put it in its place. I call it in the book, giant spell checker. So this is the message right now for them. So to summarize, it's for everyone,
0: but not to be used at the same level. I want to come back to what keeps the pace of technological development, I think sometimes perilously moving beyond the pace of, for example, our ability to think carefully about how we want to implement it and the transformations that happen in society that we maybe want to think about before we implement those technologies. But I want to meditate first a little bit on the title of that book a little bit more. Your title is, again, The Singularity of Hope, Humanity's Role in an AI Dominant Future. It's a title that suggests to me that you want to foreground a particularly optimistic view of AI, particularly if you read the book, it delves into the role of AI. And I think that the Again, the title as well as the overarching structure and tenor of the book is uh, very optimistic in the context of AI as applied to work. What makes you optimistic? I'm
1: really hopeful about AI in our jobs uh, future because I think AI can do the least interesting or hard work that we don't like to do, okay? And this gives us more time for things that only humans can really do well. In the first chapter of my book the mind and the machine the first chapter i talk about the special things that make us human like our intuition gut feelings the ability to love other emotions as well like ambitions these are things that ai cannot replicate yet and i don't think in the near future so imagine a workplace where ai does all the routine stuff like making schedules handling big data and things that we don't like to do. Then humans can use our special skills like making new ideas, understanding other people, doing things that needs a lot of feelings and thoughts, saving the planet. For example, big projects now we can do. This can make our jobs more interesting and give us more joy. When we don't have to do the same things over and over again, we can learn new stuff and try different parts of our work and experiment more efficiently, much more fast than before AI time. In the book, we explain how love and ambition, things that are really powerful and deep in humans, are still beyond AI. And uh, AI is good at following instruction and learn from what we give to it in a narrow way. But it truly understand emotions and have big dreams. So this is why I'm excited about AI in our work. It can handle the things that it's limited and AI good at, while we focus on amazing things that make us human.
0: So I guess I wanna challenge this theory a little bit with some of my lived experience, right? I'm a professor. I can't think of a job that requires or asks for, or proposes a more applied arena of people just thinking interesting things, having interesting ideas, doing something that they love, more than that kind of job as supplied by the academy. But in reality, I will say that a lot of the efficiency tools that now govern the academy and that govern professorship work have actually made less time, not more time, for the dedication of thought and the dedication of knowledge production. For example, the idea, I think, initially around something like email as applied to the academy is... You're going to have a stream of messages that come in. You can answer them asynchronously. You're not going to have to go to the post office and drop off letters every single time somebody wants to communicate with you. Students can communicate over email rather than come into office hours, freeing up those office hour time for students who genuinely want to seek knowledge rather than ask how much things count for their grade, right? That, I think, was the vision. Um, In reality, what happens is that I am flooded with all sorts of email that I would have never gotten had the structure of mail simply been every time somebody wants to send me a piece of mail, they have to go to the post office and send it to me. I have the student body asking for a constant accommodation for office hours outside of the dedicated time because they have the ability to connect with me at any time that they want. Software for tracking people now requires all sorts of administrative tasks that were previously never the case. And in addition to that, the university has eliminated dedicated administrators with the idea that if I just spend five extra minutes of my time learning 25 different systems, never mind they don't understand that there are actually 25 different systems, I can self-manage all of this rather than having that dedicated administrator. So actually what I find when I talk to uh, academics or professors of an older, earlier age, They had actually more dedicated time to thought production, to knowledge, to seeking that very human dedicated form of intelligence than I actually have. I guess I come to this with a little bit of skepticism, uh, given some of that lived experience and the lived experience that not only I bring to it, but that my whole cohort of knowledge workers seem to feel about their jobs. Um, Convince me that the next stage of AI will be different from what we are seeing currently in our current form of AI. First of all, I
1: agree with everything you just said, but it's not the fault of technology. Now, you you mentioned a lot of problems in the academic field that I have lived myself when I was in academia, and it's mostly about let's um, call it the explosion of amount of information that comes to us and how to handle them. And in my opinion, it's because, but this is only my opinion. It's not related to my book. It's because yes, we have a lot of new tools in the academia, but still we are behaving in a way that's intrinsically old, okay? We still require from people. I will give you immediately an example, just not to be in the abstract. Uh, most of the academic work these days is measured by the number of publication you are doing. Number, not by the quality. Nobody can really go and judge the quality of uh, a journal paper if you need it. If you need to advance in your career, you need to have a ton of them, okay? So let me go back to the AI era. Okay. With the AI era, you want to produce a lot of uh, document. It will become useless. Why? Because AI can generate a lot of scam paper. Let's say this one. Okay. That is completely useless to be outstanding. Here comes human intelligence. So I think for your particular case, AI will take out the routine out of your life and give you the opportunity to be creative. It will correct somehow the first era of technology when you are a flooded with too much spam and too much information by having an AI agent that maybe will filter your emails and give you the essence of the flooded emails, what really need to take your attention. And this is, by the way, AI can do. This is a routine job. But it cannot tell you what research you need to do. It cannot tell you the original thoughts that you need to Uh, conclude in a certain research you are dead and i give this example in my book by the way about academia and how to use the augmentation in the academia so to answer your question i'm very helpful i think technology is correcting itself the flooding of information that we got with the first uh, vague of information era is now would be corrected by machine that can think to a certain level and take the routine out of our life and give us back our creativity so i think you will welcome it it's still in its infancy but soon you will have email agent that will uh, narrow your attention of uh, the needed attention to attack emails to a reasonable time now i know the system is need a lot of correction in academia it's maybe a subject of another uh, interview or meeting but i agree with you there is a lot of things to do but it's not the
0: technology fault It's our regulations and systems that need to be adjusted to the technology era. We're going to put a pin in this because we're going to talk about some of those systems that perhaps need correction when we discuss uh, how AI may fit into a logic of capitalism very specifically, and more broadly, how the idea of productivity as connected to capitalism fits into some of the structure and basic undergirding ideologies of automated automated, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, But before we do that, I want to spend a little bit of time Talking about intelligence, before we talk about what artificial intelligence is, you spend a lot of your book discussing the ways in which AI can behave like or reproduce or simulate human intelligence, as, as well as ways that it may not. Can you describe some of your perspective on this?
1: Yes. I will tell you, the irony is that generative AI didn't become human-like. Instead, it revealed how much machine-like humans have been behaving in the last 50 years. Okay. Everybody asking us to have uh, operating procedure, okay? Uh, systematic procedures, repeat things, like a machine. And here I'm talking about work, of course, and education. I'm not talking about uh, our emotional life, okay? Even in that, there is a lot of people who tell you, hey, be pragmatic, don't be emotional, okay? So in the last 50 years, we have this goal to become like machine. When, in my book, I talk about how AI, uh, like robots, robots, uh, can do things that seem smart, like solving math problem or playing chess. This is because AI programmed to do this task, task very well. But it's important to remember that AI intelligence is very far from human intelligence. In terms, for example, I will go specific, AI cannot feel, cannot dream, cannot understand emotions. When, say, someone is Intelligent, sometimes we, we mix things. We mix a lot kind of intelligence. I will not go and say them all. But for example, we have, I don't know, calculation intelligence. So can we say that a calculator is more smart than human? No, just a tool, okay? So again, having a very good calculator that do numbers doesn't mean that uh, it understands what it's doing and it's standard real life. This difference is important when we think about how AI fit in our world. AI can help a specific repetitive task, but it can't replace the wide range of human understanding and creativity. I will talk mostly about um, intuition, about empathy, love, and love here in the wide meaning of love, like love what you do, loving what you research, and okay? Love helping humanity, being like, fair and uh,
0: and honest, all this AI cannot do, not now and not in the near future. So I actually want to push this a little bit. Very interestingly, I was having a conversation this weekend at a winery, as one does when one talks about philosophical issues, about the possibility that AI may be challenging or even transforming what we think intelligence in humans may ultimately be. The example that we were talking about is You know, for example, the ability to do vast amounts of calculations, which now, as you pointed out, we give over to the calculator. We don't necessarily think of the ability to do massive amounts of calculations as having kind of intelligence because now we have a machine do it for us. However, it seems like our understanding and our experimentation with AI demonstrates that there are certain things that we think of as very simple that are actually very difficult to do. Loading a dishwasher, for example, right? Loading a dishwasher is something that we typically think of as domestic women's labor. Domestic women's labor was never really well paid, and therefore we continue to not uh, pay people who perform that labor very well. It's considered, I to argue, for historical reasons, to be not very intelligent work. It's very easy, duplicable. You can get anybody to do it. It doesn't require an immense amount of training. And again, historically, women have done it. Uh, in a form of domestic labor that we tend not to compensate at all in historical periods and currently not very well. But it turns out that this is something that's very difficult to do with any form of automation. How do you think about the way that AI may be changing our understanding of intelligence? Is there a broader understanding or construction of what we think intelligence is that AI is pushing, or an understanding of intelligence that AI is currently challenging?
1: currently current AI let's talk about generative AI because I will, there is a lot of tentative before that you know 50 years ago when people start using computers we call it also artificial intelligence you know and some people thought that uh, boolean algebra was artificial intelligence when you did circuit that do calculation so the word itself has a vast meaning but today we talk mostly about generative AI and yes it it's it somehow Uh, challenging us because suddenly we have these chatbots that um, somehow is mimicking our conversation, give us an illusion of intelligence casting to us. And I say illusion of intelligence. Now, I don't want to go technical in this discussion and tell people how these large language models are built, but practically they are approximating our knowledge. They are not the old fashion of AI that we try to have expert system that give you exact answers. It's approximating. This is why it makes errors. Now, you talk about uh, robots and um, let's call it uh, the 3D level of intelligence, which is somehow spatial intelligence appreciating the space around us and movement. And these things, for example, it's very complex. And people thought in the beginning it's because, as you have said, humans have been doing this for years women or even men in the in the industry lines in the beginning of the industrial age so both of them have been exploited by um, let's call it capitalism in the 19th century and uh, yes it seems cheap labor and because it's cheap maybe it's easy to reproduce but not true it has a lot of intelligence used at the same time like spatial intelligence temporally Intelligence, language intelligence to understand because I have seen, we have seen a lot of people doing things in parallel, like they are getting the instruction and moving their hands quickly to finish the task. Okay. So I think by narrowing this task, and I will give you a concrete example, people can understand how these things will be automated in the future, in the near future. I will give you the example of an old cartoon show that I saw when I was young about a cleaning robot. And in that show, it was a human shape humanized uh, robot holding them up and cleaning. okay what's happened we have finished by having this small circular shape robot that cleaned the house so it's not a human shape not mimicking human complexity okay but narrowing it going back to folding stuff i have seen uh, two days ago the the impressive robot of tesla that can fold things so first of all uploading them because they are doing this but maybe it's not necessary. Maybe we can do a small machine that folds the stuff that is particular and narrow in terms of application. Another example of narrow AI that works very well is industrial robots. You know, they do specific tasks. So, yes, the generative AI, ChatGPT, put us somehow in shock with the reality of things and how we can talk to a machine that looks intelligent. But hey, It's not intelligence at all. It's just searching for an answer in a huge data structure we call transformers and giving us an answer from
0: that transformers that looks to us like intelligence. I am writing currently a lot about the problem that I call uh, magical thinking in the tech sector. The idea that tech creators and those who are in uh, the industry who wish to benefit and profit from it, structure their technologies as kind of magical objects or items, allowing for uh, and strategically permitting certain consequences to ensue from that, including the idea that they and they alone, as part of the, quote, Magicians Guild, can understand uh, their tricks, that they don't have to explain them, they don't have to be transparent, that nobody else can regulate or govern them because they're not part of that magic guild. And that the public ought to embrace these marvels as enchantments rather than question them as business practices that may be predatory. Uh, And so I think that there there is something important to be said about the revelation of what I like to call the man behind the curtain. I'm referring, of course, to The Wizard of Oz, uh, a story where we discover that a magical city with a road paved of gold that somehow mysteriously looks like San Francisco in its description by the author L. Frank Baum is governed by somebody who looks like a wizard who has all sorts of kind of technological magic tricks and we reveal ultimately a small man behind curtain to be hiding behind this facade of wizardry. I wonder if you could talk a little bit before we move on because there's another question here that I have about ChatGPT and uh, generative AI, uh, and I'd like to discuss that as well when it comes to intelligence, Um, with how you are thinking about tech as this kind of magical thinking, and what kinds of maybe restructurings of the way we think about technology might uh, provide an alternative frame for regulating, uh, governing, and uh, allowing the public to challenge uh, technological production and uh, the way that it Proliferates in our society? Mm-hmm. First of all, it's
1: a political question for me. I will be honest with you. Uh, seems out of the context of my book. I tried not to be um, political, but let me try to answer it as much as I can. Okay. So, the first part of it, the magical thinker. First of all, I mock him, mock them somehow in my book. I start my book about a story of the little Aaron who lives in the 90s, who can program. He made a small program and then he is advising his grandma to see. Look, the computer is alive. He can talk to me. Okay? The grandma in the 90s, you know, uh, technology was new. is impressed. crest? She said, maybe. True. Okay? So, he was little. He fooled his grandma. Bra- Bravo. He, he is uh, thinking he changed the world. He's a wizard now. Okay? Now, Aaron's is not a, a kid anymore. He's not a small programmer. He's a big scientists developed maybe a large language model and he's not fooling only his grandma now he's fooling the whole world and this go back to your magical thinker idea so these people are benefiting from their advanced knowledge in data structure and mathematics and engineering okay to somehow appears bigger than they are let's see the turn and what they do is very important and only them can understand it and and do it i agree with you But that doesn't mean that partially we need these people anyway. They created the technology, okay? But we need regulators to force them somehow to open source or open code their programs, their magical technology, okay, to all people that can investigate and check how it is done. Because even I wrote in the book a chapter about that, about bias and how finally it's not really intelligence, it's... uh, training on data so somehow we are feeding it data and data can be biased can be wrong okay it's not uh, bulletproof so i think we need to create a mixed let's call it investigation community where they can check the code or keep it secret we don't want to copy their codes in this case but at least investigate it and check it for bias from i will not tell you anybody can do it no it's not true you need some level of training, but it's not the magical thinking only then, this is not.
0: I want to circle back to my, let's call it wine country conversation about intelligence because the form of intelligence that a conversation was pivoted around was generative AI and in particular generative AI that seems to imitate and produce products that look remarkably like human intelligence in the form of writing. And the comparison between loading a dishwasher, which it turns out requires multitudes of different forms of intelligence in combination with one another, turns out to be harder to reproduce than reproducing a, for example, five paragraph essay that gets an A in a high school English class. And the argument that my interlocutor tried to introduce was the idea that perhaps it is easier to, to write an essay, something that we tend to think of as very difficult than it is to load a dishwasher. I think that this proposal carries a number of different misunderstandings that I want to get into and that we also need to condition our understanding of what we think of in te- as intelligent vis-a-vis what we tend to reward financially and the history of how we decided what kinds of labor to reward financially and therefore think of as difficult or sophisticated as forms of intelligence. Sometimes I say, and some people take it as a joke, that my dog is more intelligent than I am. And people laugh at that and think it's very cute that I think my dog is so smart or that I am willing to be diminutive and think of myself as less intelligent as my dog. And I actually rebut that and say, I'm, I'm very serious that there are forms of intelligence that my dog has, such as the ability to acknowledge and respond to language that is not the language of their species um, that I think is very profound that we underappreciate and uh, underappreciate because in, in across history, we don't reward it. But in addition to that, I take issue with the idea that a simulated written essay is the same thing as writing itself. In other words, I agree that loading a dishwasher may be more difficult than we think and that the completion of that task may be a very difficult task, but I don't think that the ability to produce something that appears to or simulates uh, appears to be or simulates writing argues for or proves that writing itself is a more simple form of intelligence than we previously thought. Now, I'm a literary and a textual scholar, so I spend a lot of time thinking about language, and I wanted to zoom into one of your claims, and I'm going to quote you here directly, uh, a claim about linguistic intelligence, a kind of intelligence that's really at stake in our current AI revolution, as are its products, namely textual and language-based products, uh, such as writing. You write that in contrast to logical mathematical intelligence, and again, here's a direct quote from your book, Linguistic intelligence, on the other hand, is the skill of using language effectively. It's the realm of writers, poets, and speakers. AI's adaptation of this intelligence is evident in natural language processing, NLP, algorithms, which enable machines to understand, interpret, and generate human language. This is the intelligence that powers voice assistants like Siri and Alexa, as well as language translation services and amazing new generative AI like ChatGPT. That's the end of the quote. Now, to me, as a scholar of language and writing, um, this doesn't actually seem to capture what linguistic intelligence is, as at least as far as I understand it. It confuses the product of linguistic intelligence, which is the written product and typically a textual product, with what actual intelligence is, which is the distillation of production of thought that transforms what we have in our head, which is inchoate, often illogical, uninformed conceptual thinking into shared thought by way of passing that thought through the crucible of language and by putting critical distance between our minds and those ideas holding them up to first uh, our own scrutiny as we have to confront the gaps in our thoughts as that we tend to permit ourselves when we don't have to put those thoughts into linear and common coherent language strands and second ideally to the scrutiny of other people as other people then intake and ideally challenge those thoughts as they are extracted from those closed circuits of our individual consciousness. So I guess I disagree with your characterization, following from the point that, and again, I'll quote you here, uh, that technologies like ChatGPT generate human-like text and engage in conversations mimicking human thought processes in language and tasks. And I guess what I specifically want to challenge is this concept of linguistic intelligence and its associated assumptions about the relationship between these forms of AI to terms of mimicking human-based forms and processes of intelligence, especially insofar as those forms of AI are served up as an analog to something like writing. Now, I will agree that ChatGPT, by leveraging predictive contiguity of language into the product of linguistic intelligence, which is writing, is able to mimic that very persuasively. But it does not do what is so fundamental about writing, that is to say, the verb to write, the process of writing, which is really about what I outlined, this process of clarifying and producing fundamentally new thought, creative thought through linguistic articulation. I I don't think that those two things, again, the product of writing, which ChatGPT can effectively simulate, and the process of writing, which is the clarification, distillation, and creativity of new thought. Are the same thing even though they produce similar looking products and i don't want to confuse the product with the process because writing is ultimately about that process even though what we typically think of as writing is actually the outcome of that or the product how would you respond to that challenge
1: okay there, there was three questions let me start by the first one is about is writing easier to mimic than dishwasher loading okay and my answer today yes because nobody studied really Special intelligence, as we studied the language. Okay, language has been studied very well from thousands of years. You know, we started by doing the grammar, analytical analysis before the machine. Okay, how to analyze a text? How to do grammar? Thousands of years that exist before. Of course, the the newest one is after the Renaissance era. We have Shakespeare and more advanced writers, and we have a grammar that become very well studied and by the way this grammar has been used by computer engineers to do uh, lexical analyzers before chat gpt like this is like 40 years old technology okay and semantic analyzer as well uh, very useful tools in computer that been used 30 or 40 years ago so anyway the the text you have taken from my book i stand behind it because i'm trying in the book to distinguish the kind of intelligence and i wanted to call it in the context of narrow intelligence it's narrow ai here okay not wide and general intelligence because humans are not chat gpt we are much more sophisticated than that okay we are comparing to chat gpt like i don't know falls more intelligence in terms of all dimensions we have all the intelligence spectrum somehow in our mind working in parallel so let's go back to my let's call it i'm talking about nlp natural language processor that means things that power Alexa, Siri, and now more sophisticated form. This is coming after ChatGPT technology that will be using um, OpenAI and other companies' technology. So this is a tool, okay, specific for writing in the narrow intelligence meaning, not general intelligence of human. To support that this is not what I meant in my book, first chapter, uh, there is... A small area where I call it the intelligence of the soul it's about how we all have this detox talks with ourselves okay filed with feeling self awareness and thoughts it's when the self talk to the mind this is what make us human and I think anyone listen to me will understand what does that mean this is how we think we have a self that is talking to our mind you cannot really prove it for anyone but every human being is experiencing this This is for us what makes us special from the machine. This is dealing with our emotions, going over our past experience. This is where we can find meaning in life, get curious and understand what's right and wrong. This soulful part of us is something current AI cannot do and not in the near future. In my opinion, AI for writers like it's like really having an advanced spell checker that will help you fix grammar, or suggest words, maybe pages. But it's not creating new ideas or stories. So I agree with your comment that this is not how a writer works. But suddenly you have a tool in your hands that is bigger spell checker that not instead of correcting you a word, it will give you a page. And by the way, it's not constructing this pages from nothing. Practically we are feeding this machine or data structure that we call transformers, all our knowledge in terms of human creativity, the machine will put it in a giant structure in order to be achievable for you easily when you ask for it, when you do the interaction. So yes, I agree with you that the writer's work needs much more intelligence that any machine today can handle. Okay, but it's not only writing intelligence in the Norway I terms. It's a lot of intelligence kind combined together. But for once in our life, as writers, as people who need to write, we'll have big tool that will eliminate, again, the routine from our life. Okay, and if you do small mistakes, small typos, small error in grammars, you don't care, the machine will correct it for you finally. And instead of that, concentrating on the ideas, itself you you've mentioned also something very interesting about uh, kind of intelligence and species and uh, there is someone i don't unfortunately recall his name but a very famous researcher and he said it depends on the context of intelligence and the need sometimes a chimpanzee is smarter than a human being if you put them both in the jungle and ask them to survive believe me the chimpanzee will outperform any human from our era in living in the jungle okay so it depends on the context of intelligence and uh, where you are using your intelligence okay but what will make humans very special is our ability to contact each other to think together as a group okay to transfer the knowledge from one to another in a way that is magical and then here what i call it the the self talking to the mind using all our history using all our knowledge and get a thought quickly. When I tell you we cannot replicate it in the machine, it's not because we don't have faster machine. Honestly, because we don't know how this algorithm is working. We have no idea. And you mentioned the magical thinkers. They think because we have big, large language models, now we can feed them the information and Magically, uh, consciousness will appear. Sorry, guys, it will not appear. You need to know at least how it works. We don't know. We experience all consciousness. And we experience all this magical moment when ourself talking to our mind. And it's like we are somehow separating ourselves in small parts. And they are thinking inside our head and talking and getting, I don't know, conclusion that always related to emotions, by the way, could be ambition, could be envy, could be negative, positive emotions. But again, why I am hopeful? Because, because we are so superior to the machine. As suddenly we have a machine that is useful in doing repetitive things in the linguistic domain, okay, that's why I call it a linguistic intelligence, it will help us draft our ideas in a better way. It will give us a way to communicate better in terms of textual and text.
0: So I want I want to lean on my purview of being the academic in the room, which gives me a particular affinity for and justification for cynicism (laughs) and criticism, and really look at that premise that what AI will do in the context in particular of writing um, is to automate what is sometimes called basic or routine or drudge work. This is such an interesting area for me because as a writer like you, I know the pain and the slog of generating that messy, crappy first draft. It is painful. It is hard. It is labor. That process that I talked about, extracting a stream of thought, putting those thoughts down on the page, seeing the alinearity and incoherence of those thoughts that make sense in your mind once those thoughts are articulated in the page, and then having to go back and refine those thoughts and really push out those thoughts. That is to say, say what you mean. Um, it's a very easy phrase, but actually getting the precision of that thought down into shared language is a very difficult process. And I hear a lot of people saying, AI will take out the dredge work. It will generate that first draft for you. It will write out in your voice, using your thoughts, what you actually mean. And therefore, it will take out some of the dredge work. It will automate it, allow you, allowing you to move on to higher thoughts. But those of us who teach writing and who think about writing on a very granular level, understand that unless you actually know how to uh, do that dredge work unless you have an intimate sense of that that routine process unless you really know those basics it's very hard to creatively manage the more sophisticated dimensions of that writing it, that is to say unless you know something like how a passive voice changes the structure of meaning of a sentence unless you know how to take those thoughts out and put them on the page and unless you really understand what's difficult about it it's really hard to communicate those thoughts well uh, sometimes when i teach writing i fall back on the great thinker the real kind of genesis of the idea of the essay uh, Michel de montaigne who really understands the essay not as what we think of it in terms of a high school essay or what my college students sometimes i think think of it essay as being as a kind of word salad where you just put out all of the interesting things and reproduce all of the things that i said are important as the professor um, but rather a kind of process of replicating the scientific method and Michel de montaigne was writing at the at the time of the scientific revolution whereby we take our thoughts We subject them to the scrutiny of scientific rigor to try and understand how thoughts follow logically from one another, from axioms and premises, by way of introducing and working through evidence toward conclusions. And that the essay is the process of reifying our axioms and premises and conclusions of those axioms and premises by way of a show your work logic that shows somebody else how we got from our argument, that is to say, our thesis or hypothesis uh, toward the findings of our research, in this case, the research being the scrutiny of our philosophies and ideas. And so I guess my challenge is to to wonder whether or not automating some of what we sometimes call drudge work actually results in that higher level of thought, or whether it actually eliminates an important understanding of what the process of writing ultimately is about, thereby maybe mitigating or transforming our ability to actually be creative through that process of writing.
1: First of all, I agree with you 100%. And uh, in my book, I advocate for a method, I call it higher, human AI augmentation. And what's special in this method, that as you just described, it's practically follow your intuitive way that you just described in a very detailed and impressive uh, manner, uh, thank you, about how you are conducting your writing so you start by what you call it the painful stage of what to write the first script in my method i call it starting by human intuition that is mixed with education or what we call educated guess to formulate the first step okay and in my method i said the first step in ai era should come from human not from ai Okay. So yes, in writing in particular, that's what I wrote, but of course you are in better position to use the method and, uh, and improve it better than myself. But the idea here, uh, in terms of writing, we start with human knowledge, human intelligence mixed in together with intuition, and with educated guess, we start with a draft. Then we can give this draft to AI to refine it, to give ideas, to give suggestions in different style, different things. Here comes what you express it as your deep knowledge or what's good, what's not good, what I like, what I don't like, the love of your field or your domain or the love of writing. And you will say, this is I like, this is I don't like, this is the machine, okay, leave it away, this is I like. And then you add from it again, from your love and intuition, and knowledge and everything that make us human, intelligent to this. So this process that I call it, it's it's somehow a loop again and again and again. And it will augment your own intelligence by accelerating a process that we already do as a human when we write, But it takes us maybe three, four weeks. Now it will take us three, four weeks, three, four days. Okay. Because you have a generative AI, it will take somehow a lot of the research pain of going through, through literature, finding something similar answers and give you all this and then you choose what you want and we don't want and here again i'm talking about scientific writing uh, not poesy or or let's call it rap songs or whatever artistic level of writing i'm talking about knowledge here because this is where ai is good it's somehow drafting a huge amount of knowledge and put it us to us to use our human intelligence and see what we need to use and we what what we don't need to use so I agree with you that uh, superiority of a human needs to maintain. Now, I talk about my book about call it something I called the mental obesity or the obesity of the brain. It's a risk that we have, where people don't want to use their human abilities, will ask the machine to do all the job, so it will generate for us very low level quality uh, text. Okay, that practically we call it spam undesired information we don't need it it looks good for people as a demo that the machine is good but honestly nobody will read it because it's useless it has nothing new and i think it's one of the risks that we have in the society and we need to fight it why i call it obesity of the brain is to comparing industrial age that brought obesity to our society because we don't do physical works anymore we have a lot of uh, mechanical machine that does it for us so now the domain of thinking will have also a thinking machine that is somehow not that smart that will create spam it's up to us to fight this and use it under our intelligence to augment our intelligence and not to replace our intelligence or rely on it to create spam so again i think it's a very useful tools for for writers but it will not replace them and it's very dangerous to go tempted by the machine writing for us. It would be very low quality and people will not like it. They will not read it. It's it's. I'm impress only
0: the marketing guy who thinks he's generating free content. I want to talk a little bit more broadly about labor. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the future of AI and labor?
1: While we focus on things that make us a human, AI will do a repetitive tasks. I talk about how the jobs will change because of AI. Machine will take all the repetitive tasks. I talk about some jobs that will disappear, like in my taxi delivery jobs, but also um, other jobs will be created. It's It's very important to teach people for this new human jobs. Our school and courses should help us think deeply, make good choices, and feel strongly in a world with lots of machine. We need to improve human skills. We need to, to teach our kids educated guess, critical thinking rather than repetitive thing. So I think also the jobs we need to concentrate on should be the job where we are connecting with other people. In the future, we'll work with AI, but we also uh, we need to keep things that only humans can do related to empathy job, taking care of each other, caring job. All that will not disappear.
0: I want to put my hat, my academic hat back on because it provides me the purview of appointed cynic. I share your hope that AI will take over these more routine or maybe automatable, less human interactive forms of labor, in, cl- in addition to more dangerous forms of labor, and that there are valuable labor interventions that AI can make in humanistic and ethical ways. You cite, for example, the potential of AI to find people in disaster areas or to explore deep sea diving for the pursuit of scientific inquiry to areas of labor that may be hazardous for humans. But I'm also somewhat aware of what I believe will drive the development and deployment of AI, which is primarily not about what will most benefit society. Uh, And as a parenthetical, when we say society, we should also explicate who and what parts of society we care about benefiting from the perspective of ethics. And in most streams of ethics, we typically think about groups such as marginalized or vulnerable groups or groups who will be harmed by a certain course of action. So I guess I want to just flag that specifically as an area of ethical concern. But rather the future that that will drive or the the drive behind where and how this technology will develop will be rather than what will benefit society in particular for uh, the ethical ways that I explicated, but but really, what will be most lucrative and what will create the largest uh, profit margins for the companies who build these technologies? So while I see the potential for AI and I agree with you that it has the possibility of disrupting dangerous labor, I guess the academic cynic in me, and again I get to wear that hat, wonders whether disruption. Uh, That we typically hear about that this technology is disruptive refers not to technological disruptive, but rather to economic disruption. That is to say the capacity of the technology to disrupt the market particularly for the benefit of the people who are producing and marketing that technology. I mean, I see less AI developed for dangerous and physically deteriorative labor outside of military use, which you mentioned in your book, and which is a whole other can of worms. and more of this technology being developed in service of disrupting jobs where paying people for those jobs is expensive, such as a Hollywood screenwriter, and where the deployment of AI can save the company that employs it money. So given the reality of technological development and technological deployment, which is, at least as far as I see it, that most AI companies will develop technologies that provide the quickest form of growth with the uh, widest demonstrable profit margin for the utility of the products that they develop and the possibility of that product to disrupt and intervene into and to create profit in a particular market, how do you stay optimistic about the future of AI and its potential for adding humanistic value, not just economic value, but humanistic value to human labor rather than, say, providing a permission structure for companies to cut costs?
1: Okay. So uh, first of all, um, when you when you use things that make work faster, like AI, we end up by doing more work instead of spending time um, and we can spend more time with our family and relaxing. Society needs to change. Uh, and um, economic uh, models will collapse with AI because suddenly we'll need very little effort, very little work to achieve what we are achieving right now. Okay. And uh, it's the end um, somehow for a long discussion about we, what amount of works are needed for the society, society would be very little. So We need to be bold about the solutions. I'm hopeful that we need to figure it out. This is why I'm writing the book and I am sure we'll figure it out. There's major things that need to change in society. Companies will become stronger, okay? But also everybody can open a company suddenly. Things will become easier to do, okay? We will have robots, AI, things that used to be very difficult to do. Now it's easier with the AI age. So what will happen, we need to concentrate On reducing the amount of work that really is requested, maybe thinking of three days a week uh, work time. Also, talking about UBI, universal basic income, money for everyone. And if someone will tell me where the money comes from, I will tell you, I will tell an answer because the robots are working. So, robots are working for us. Okay. Maybe talking about IRS 2.0, instead of having a robot that will collect taxes or a bot that will go and collect taxes and a nightmare future I'm more hopeful but IRS 2.0 where they don't collect taxes from us anymore they will go and collect the taxes from the robot and that doesn't mean taxing the companies because it means that the money will be generated from AI and the IRS 2.0 will go and figure it out how much money or wealth the robot are creating into society and that's will fund somehow the universal basic income so hopeful doesn't mean we don't need to work and uh, discuss the issues and this is major issues wealth and mental health is the major challenges of ai in the future if we don't take care of both we'll have a dark future it's the shadow of the singularity okay we, I'm, I'm talking about the singularity of hope i'm hopeful but i'm talking also with things we need to uh, to do in order to achieve this this singularity of hope because it's the singularity of hope. Prosperity is not an outcome; it's a journey, and this is the journey I'm advocating in my book. So I'm not hopeful because we'll make it in a way a fair economy. You know, let's uh, let's the catastrophe come in, and suddenly we have no jobs because traditional jobs will disappear. We need very little work to produce and uh, to maintain humanity. So let the economy collapse? No, we'll not wait until the economic collapse happen. We need to engage in discussion and this revolutionary ideas need to, to, to become reality at one time, UBI, universal basic income, that means giving money for everyone because the robots are working, not because people are lazy, but also creating new kind of jobs that will use only creativity and not systematic and repetitive work because this is will be done by robot and, uh, and software. So this hopeful future is what I'm advocating in the book, but that doesn't mean we don't have shadows that we need to take care of. And mainly the the wealth inequality is a big problem. And the economic model itself, taxation is at risk. The theory of uh, values, all will be destroyed. You need very, very little amount of work and investment in terms of uh, human labor to produce things. But you still need a lot of resources and uh, an investment in, in, in structure to build this machine, to build this software, to to make them run uh, on servers. So it's, it's not done. It's not a magic wand. Okay, I'm hopeful. No, I'm hopeful because there is a road that we need to, and a journey that we need to take together. Okay, but it's not by fighting the robot and say, okay, I don't like technology. It's by embracing the technology and having the discussion about the future of humanity in a hopeful way. I'm sure we'll figure it out. I'm sure my daughters, I have three daughters, will not have uh, a robot tax collector. They will have a robot working to pay their taxes, which is different perspective. It's stop using um, old uh, century ideas
0: in the future and apply them as they are. My academic hat is going to have a very wide brim of cynicism today because, <laughs> you know, I think about what you're saying, and I think that this... Optimism is the history of technological production, particularly when it comes to efficiency technologies and uh, automation. I can think of, you know, we can call this AI 3.0, but AI 2.0 and AI 1.0 and AI 0.0 all had, I think, as its uh, optimistic, utopian ideal, the idea that what will happen is that we will automate routines, uh, we will provide more efficiency to those who labor, and that ultimately what will happen is that people will have more time to care for our loved ones or to stare at our navel and meditate on ethics and sit down and finally read those 15 philosophy books and get all the way through Kant and Hegel and Tolstoy and uh, enjoy life. But in actuality, what most of us discover is that these efficiency tools oftentimes end up creating expectations, not of more leisure time, although that's still a kind of utopian ideal. But in actuality, what we're doing is more labor. Uh, We discover that we are more stressed. We discover that under the logic of capitalism... Uh, which has embedded in it the expectation of endless and infinite growth of our economy, we end up doing more work with the efficiency tools and that companies end up making more money because each worker can produce more labor. And so the end is not that we have more time to read Tolstoy, but that we are doing more labor with the time that we have given that we now have more time to labor because so many of the uh, supposed things that take time have been automated. So the workers themselves don't have more time to care for their families or to read Anna Karenina or sit down and really get through those books about the philosophies of Hegel. But rather that what they're doing is um, using that extra time to do more jobs to be able to provide the basics of financial care at the expense of time spent. With loved ones. And I'm thinking of this per in particular because in your book you reflect on how AI squares up with a multitude of other human values, such as love and care, in its drive for efficiency. And I wonder about this because AI seems to pursue and embody and reflect one important but not exclusive human value, which is that value of efficiency. And AI seems to emerge out of a desire to automate and a logic of automation, which has efficiency at its core. But of course, our values, inclusive of things you talk about, as at the core of what it really means to be human, such as love and care, are oftentimes orthogonal to efficiency. Ask anyone who has had a significant love in their life, attempt to romance them efficiently, and they will tell you that they do not find efficiency to be at the core of their idea about love. And, you know, I listeners who are long-time listeners to the show can fast forward uh, the next 45 seconds because I oftentimes tell the anecdote of talking to my students and telling them that uh, the technologies that they have embraced in their life oftentimes promote efficiency. But of course, our society requires and uh, embodies more values than that. And I ask them, how many of you are in a relationship? Some of them raise their hands. And I say, how many of you want to be in a relationship or want to have some form of lover? And the rest of them raise their hands so that everybody's hand is up. And I say, well, how many of you want that lover to love you efficiently? And they all burst out laughing, right? Because- They don't want a lover to love them efficiently. What we think of as love or what we think of as care is something that somebody else does for us or we do for somebody else in ways that are orthogonal to or at the expense of efficiency. And so when somebody tries to love us efficiently, we don't actually typically register that as love. We register that as somebody trying to um, get away with something right? or somebody who who doesn't really truly uh, love us. So I guess can ai embody or allow us to truly live in alignment with those values and i say not ai as the technology but the understanding that these technologies are developed within a certain circuit and with certain economic expectations and within a certain kind of ecology that drives them to automate our so-called you know routine or basic structures with the expectation and ultimately with the end driving goal of providing more value to shareholders or more profit for a company, oftentimes marketing or selling those efficiency tools as ultimately allowing us to kind of live more holistic lives or live lives that are more philosophical or spend more time with loved ones. But actually in reality, time and time again have demonstrated that the outcome is typically more exploitative labor practices. More uh, expectations of higher levels of labor production, and not the kind of leisure time that sometimes we're told or marketed that uh, that these technologies will have. How should we really think about AI in relationship to these other values, and and the ultimate outcome for these values when we institute AI again, not in a kind of utopian ideal system as is typically marketed to us, but in the actual system that we live in with the actual. Uh, economic structures, and economic incentives that typically drive the deployment of these technologies.
1: Listen, human feelings like love or caring is only human. AI will not affect them, and it's not related to the domain of AI, okay? Caring for people or loving them is not about being quick. It's about taking time, understanding them, and sharing life and knowledge and experience when we use AI to do things faster, it's not about our emotion that will go faster. It's everything else. It's about working. It's about and I I, I love your story about let's uh, love efficiently. It does not make sense because you cannot uh, somehow um, compute love. Okay, you cannot calculate love and uh, and emotions. It's bewind calculation. This is why it's con- it's concretely only for humans okay machine cannot compute okay now when you are using AI to make more money that will give you more time to relax and and have and enjoy love with your families and and people around you I like the idea that you are saying okay but um, it was been promised to us several times before here comes the concept of the singularity that I think it's very near the singularity is a concept comes originally from physics where we have uh, a notion in space and time where the laws of physics, go cra- law of physics go crazy it's like dividing by zero okay so if you have if we are close to singularity in terms of economy that means the notion of efficiency would be somehow crazy would become like crazy efficient and it will become in a way that we are not expecting it it's very fast we are working walking toward this singularity. So the word singularity here, it's really literal means that we will have to experience something that we never seen in our life. It's beyond our regular experiences. So the notion of efficiency in terms of work and production it will be used for, for very little, little effort. And here comes the hope that we need to do it with maintaining ourselves as a human. Being skeptical that it's been promised to us before, yes our ambition as human is always utopia now uh, we don't want to reach a dystopian future where, in the seek for a perfect life we destroy human values and this is what my book is about is about being hopeful and making human values first okay in this journey toward the singularity and it's must have discussions now not later when we figure out that suddenly We are living in a world where we don't need to work as before. In fact, maybe not at all. Okay, the only motivation to work will be to have a purpose in life, to achieve great experience. We need to rethink working. And it's not true that modernity until now made us work more. The industrial age that happens started 200 years ago, let us work less in terms of physical work and produce much more. The new revolution now with AI, or they call it the I 3.0, or the last one, is what will be automating what's still not automated from our task. That was automated in the industrial age. It will be most uh, toward thinking tasks in our intelligence. Again, having robots that will amplify our intelligence and give us the possibility of having a better future.
0: I think we have time for one last question before we wrap up. This show is about ethics and technology, and a lot of students listen to these conversations as they are embarking on careers in the tech industry. What would you want them to know or understand or think about as they move forward in their careers? What can they do or what can we do as ethically minded tech workers or members of a civic society in which uh, technology is really entered into every corner of our lives to ensure that our AI products are oriented toward an ethical future?
1: So if you are going to work in technology, especially with AI, it's really important to think about how what you make will affect everyone. We talk a lot about making sure AI is good for all people, not just some. Uh, I will tell this student, remember, AI is super powerful and can change many things in our world. So when you create AI, ask yourself, is this going to be fair for everyone? Will it help people in a good way? Think about how it can make life better, like making work less dangerous or helping people learn new things. Also, it's important to make sure that AI doesn't make rich people richer while leaving others behind. This is why um, ideas like universal basic income, IRS 2.0 come in. There are always ways to make sure everyone gets a share of what AI or new technology can do for us. And UBI is like giving everyone a little bit part from the cake to help them live. And um, we need to think about new ways, about taxes, money, so everyone benefits from this AI future. So a tech worker, you have a big job to make sure the AI we you make is good, fair, and helpful for everyone.
0: Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you.